0: Kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. If you are still here, I encourage you to take your Bible and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 19. If you don't have one, you should find one under a pew chair near you. I encourage you to uh, avail yourself of that so you can follow along. There are those that believe that the Bible isn't relevant An account that took place about 4,000 years ago is as relevant as you could get anything. I've entitled the first point of my sermon is Living in Sodom. I'm sad to say that this week we officially are now living in the United States of Sodom because the Supreme Court said, you know what, the things that the Bible says are absolutely unnatural and sinful and exceedingly wicked according to what the scripture says god has i'm sorry our government has said you know what it's okay it's legal there's no problem with it if you don't believe that makes a difference uh you need to wake up if you were under a rock maybe you need to uh check out what's happening in the world around us because um I know, because we're going to look at it, I've called it selective fire, because God is a God who eventually does judge sin. Sin does not get away from God. God also knows how to preserve the righteous. We all see that. Uh, God is very clear that while things may be bad, he is the one who sticks by what he said. He said, if you trust me, I will save you, I will preserve you, and he does that. In the midst. You might think that this is a little bit of a downer kind of sermon because we're going to talk about some hard things. Judgment. But the end result is this, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time because I know I always run out of time. I'm going to tell you the end result. The end result, if it looks really, really bad and you're thinking I'm being very negative, here's what happens. A single candle in a dark room makes a huge difference single candle in here would just look like a little decoration. But in a very dark room, it lights the room up. And I'm going to tell you that if you take a stand for Christ today, you will be a candle in a very dark country. And you will pay a price for it. There's no doubt in my mind. Let's look at what happened. If you keep in the mind our situation today and look at what happened in Sodom you're going to see the parallels, and I encourage you to do that. I'm not predicting anything. I'm not a prophet. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm just saying, here's how God works. This is how God operates, and this is what he does. So let's look at what is going on here. Uh, We'll start out by looking at the whole thing, is that God does does rescue the righteous But let's look at the chapter. We already set it up, and if you weren't here last week, simply goes this way. God himself, in the form of a man and two angels, came to Abraham, and he said, I'm going down to destroy Sodom. Abraham begged him, if there's 50, if there's 45, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10, and God said, even if there's 10 righteous people there, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the valley with it. The angels get there, and there aren't even 10. By the time it's done, there's only four people that get saved. Everybody else gets totally burnt up. That's this story. Not a fun story, but that's what's going to happen. No one ultimately gets away with sin. God judges sin. Only the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who paid the total, complete, 100% price of our sin, makes it possible for us not to be under God's judgment. And that's just not automatic. That is, if we, with everything that we are, trust Jesus Christ as our Savior for the forgiveness of sin, for new life, for heaven, and the direction that he gives us. So let's look at this chapter and see what it says. First of all, it starts out in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Lot was doing what a lot of other people would do. In those ancient cities, it was the right thing to do. The cities were walled. There was a city gate that had an arch over it. And it was the place. It was the farmer's market. It was the courthouse. It was the place you got together to talk just kind of shoot the breeze, you know, it was the social center. It was the commerce center. It was the judicial and the civil center of a city. Lot is there. We don't know if anybody else was there or not, but we know Lot was there. And uh, he, when they come in, uh, he bows down. He says, my lords, uh, please come into my house. What he was doing is exactly what Abraham had done a chapter before. Remember when the Lord himself in the form of a man and these two angels came to Abraham, he immediately did everything, extended every courtesy and every custom to them. He made them feel welcome. He fed them. He washed their feet. He gave them a place to sleep. Lot is doing exactly the same thing. He is doing what anyone that was thinking at all would do in those days. In fact, is we'll see that when they came to his house, he was offering them protection. Because if you went into someone's house, nobody could come in after them. They were now in your possession, as it were, and under your protection. Keep that in mind, that is the common way of doing things in those days, and Lot is living up to that. He is fulfilling all the cultural mandates and extending all the common courtesies of his day. And so he said, come on in, spend the night, wash your feet, then you can get up early the next day and go on your way. He does not know that these are two angels in the form of men. He just thinks they're some travelers And he is doing what he should do. Here's shelter, come in, be a part of that. Now they said, no, 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 we'll spend the night in the square. Now you could do that. Remember, it's a wall, and there's a place that you could sleep underneath. You know, and there were even alcoves and things like that there that you could sleep in, be out of the weather and those kinds of things. So you would have shelter. And Lot, knowing what the city he lived in, how despicable the morals and ethics and the spiritual climate of that city was, begged them, don't stay in the city square. Come and be under my protection. It says in verse 3, he urged them very strongly. So finally they said, okay, we will come into your house. They entered in, he made a feast for them, and they ate. He extended all the courtesies to them. Uh, he was hospitable. There are those today, and you were, if you heard the last sermon on this, there are those today that simply says, well, Sodom was judged because they were inhospitable. They didn't welcome strangers. That is just simply not true because Lot did everything and he did it right. Here's what you got to remember. The angels were sent Not because they weren't welcomed, and you're going to see that in a few moments, by the rest of the people, but they were already under judgment. Has nothing to do with the angels. Has nothing to do with what happens this night, a few minutes from now. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with they were already so sinful, exceedingly wicked against the Lord, as the Bible says it. And in every way, they sinned. Remember, sin loves company. They were sinning in all kinds of ways. Lot knew that. He brought them under his protection. But then, not only were they living in Sodom, and that's what uh, Lot was doing, but they were sinning, in Sodom. It says in verse four, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all people from every quarter. And they called the lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may have relations with them. That simply means that they were going to sexually assault them. They wanted to have sex with them. Now understand, Look what it says. First of all, it says men. It mentions. No women or children here whatsoever. This is a group of men. They're young. They're old. They're from every part of the city. I don't know how big the crowd is, but there is a crowd outside of Lot's house, and it's a big one. It wasn't a very small city, and the men of the city in their depravity came and said, Hey, we saw two men came into your house, and we want you to send them out because we don't have sex with them. When it says the men of Sodom, it is talking about, it says the men of the city, the men of Sodom, it's talking about one thing. It's where we get the word sodomy from. It has means to deal and deals with any unnatural sexual act, very specifically men with men. That's what it is. There are various legal and cultural definitions from sod- about sodomy, but the whole point is it's an unnatural act. That's what it comes down to. And so they said, send them out. We want to have a homosexual relationship with them. Was it going to be rape? The answer is uh, most undoubtedly it was going to be. But just remember, they didn't want to simply have sex with another female. They wanted something that was not only sinful but unnatural. That's what they wanted. So if anybody says to you, well, Sodom, they, you know, I, that, they, they're getting a bad rap. The answer is, no, they're not. And we saw two weeks ago that without a doubt, uh, that one of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was sodomy. Don't about it. You can't get around it. And so they're saying, send them out. Because we want to know them. We want to have a relationship with them. But Lot went out at the doorway and shut the door behind him and says, Please, my brothers, don't act wickedly. Here he is. Remember, when they came into his house, he says, When you're in my house, you're safe. I will protect you. This is a refuge. And so Lot puts himself between the crowd and the people that they want. He goes out and pulls the door shut. He's protecting those that are in his household. And he tells them, don't act wickedly, my brothers. Here's the problem. Their sin in Sodom, they were absolutely depraved. They were absolutely twisted and distorted in their view of sexuality and a whole lot of other things. We already went over that in another sermon. I'm not going back over it. But they were absolutely sinful. And they didn't care. They, as I said before, sin loves company. And so when you're in one sin, it's very easy to go into other sins. And they had them all. And Lot is now standing before them. And he's calling this mad group brothers. The Bible's very clear. Right? Lot was a righteous man whose soul was vexed. He saw what was going on and knew it was wrong. But he stayed there. And he had gotten to the point where he called these men his brothers. What happens is when we live in a society that's sinful all around us, and believe me, we don't have to pick on one sin. We could go down a long, long list in our country. I'm of the personal opinion that if God doesn't judge the United States somewhere soon, uh, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities of the valley because we're to the point we're making it illegal for these things as opposed to they just did them but the point is living in sodom the sin in sodom and lot still takes a stand but yet he's still identifying with them but it doesn't end there because we continue and pick it up in verse 8 because there is now a failing in sodom i expect unbelievers to act like unbelievers I expect horrendously despicable, sinful, wicked, twisted, distorted, and depraved actions from them. But if you check this out, Lot would very easily approximate who we are as the church. He is a righteous man living among unrighteous people, and he is now going to be as downright sinful and wrong as the people outside his door here's what he says here's the man he's righteous he should be the one that is the light in the room he says behold i have two two daughters who haven't had a relationship with men i have two virgin daughters let me bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want with them Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. He says, uh, strangers came in. He does not know they're angels at this point. Strangers have come in, and I'm going to put their protection above standing up for my daughters. I have to tell you guys, I could have put this as a part of my Father's Day sermon. Because there is nothing more important. I don't care if I go to jail, and I don't care if somebody shoots me. But if you're going to attack one of my daughters, you're in for a fight. I don't think anybody in here that's a man would say otherwise, right? Okay? Except that you understand how despicable, how downright depraved Lot's action is next? He says, oh, you want to rape the guys that came, the strangers? No, no, take my daughter's. Here's how despicable they were. They said, no, we don't want your daughters. We want the men. I don't know. You can think anything you want about Sodom and Gomorrah and the the culture there, but it's pretty clear what's going on. And so uh, he's standing there between them, and they are now not happy with him. They said, listen, stand aside, Lot. Get out of the way. Furthermore, they said, this one, referring to Lot, came as an alien and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. Now I don't know what you're going to do to treat Lot worse than they were going to do to the men. It seems like there's only one thing left. They're, they're threatening to kill him. At least beat the living daylights out of him. But Lot's in big trouble. He's standing between a crowd who wants to do harm and act in a very depraved way and he's still taking a stand you might say well that's very brave of him that's good and i would agree with that That that's his obligation on the other hand he is offering his virgin daughters you see there's a failure i expect bad behavior from the world but i don't expect bad behavior from those that claim christ those that are true believers sorry folks But all you need to do is look around and you will find out that the church has pretty much accepted everything the world has offered. Churches don't speak about abortion anymore. They don't speak about homosexuality. They don't speak about gambling. They don't speak about you go down, all the things that our government has made legal and participates in. If you don't think we're living in Sodom or the modern equivalent of it, I suggest you open the newspaper this afternoon and look at what's happening around you. Is that dark? Is that gloomy? I'm not. I'm not in despair at all. I just know that the darker it gets, the more our light shines. That's the bottom line. You shouldn't have a hard time standing out in the crowd if you take a stand. In Sunday school, we just talked about that, and somebody said, "I just put up this uh, something on." On Facebook that said, you know, this is not the right thing to do, and they pretty much got blasted for it. That's what will happen, and that is what is happening. But let's continue on, because in the midst of this, and this is the good point, even though Lot was not acting in a righteous way, he was a righteous man, God still has the ability and the desire and the will to rescue Lot, from among these people. It says, but the men reached out with their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Well, at this point, Lot is going, hmm, boy, these guys are a little different than most strangers would be in my house, because they opened the door up. They grabbed Lot, yank him back in. That's rescue number one of Lot. And then you find out, it says, they struck the men who were in the doorway of the house with blindness, both great and small, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Think about what we just read there. Now he knows these are not normal men because this is a miracle. Normal men can't cause a whole group to have blindness. You might be able to throw something in somebody's eyes if, or maybe two people's eyes, but two men are not going to be able to blind a whole crowd. All of a sudden, Lot now knows his visitors are not just normal men. They've just performed a miracle but look at the attitude and the actions of the crowd. You would have thought they would go, whoa, bad news, we better go home. That's not what they do. They're still trying to get in the door. That's what they're doing. They don't even give up as they see God's judgment, they see God's protection of Lot and the the men and the daughters, and they still won't give up. That's the world. If you think, Supreme Court ruling that made uh, same-sex marriage, and I, you know I despise using that terminology, uh, but I don't know what else to say. It's now 100%, 100% legal in all 50 states. So we have declared that that's righteous. And uh, we have to live with that. We have seen it just go down one more hill, uh, and that's it. But it says there that in the midst of this, he rescues Lot. And then it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, and it goes on to say in verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the, ungod- uh, the godly from temptation. That word temptation means temptation as it reads or trial, or test. In other words, no matter what you're in, God is able to rescue those that are his. And he does that. When we bring it to us, you might say, well, we're in a bad situation. Is there any way out from the judgment? The answer is God is very clear that when the great tribulation comes, which if you want to put the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah and every other judgment you can think of from uh, This point back, whether it's biblical or beyond the Bible, you put them all together, it won't be as bad as the Great Tribulation. But before the Great Tribulation takes place, He will take those that take a stand, those that are righteous, out. That's God's plan. That's what God does. This is a great story that foreshadows what God is going to do in the future. So here are these men, they're trying to still get in. And the two men now, and I guess eventually they give up and go home. It doesn't tell us, but they never get in the door. Then the two men said to Lot, Lot, whom have you, else have you here? Notice they're asking legitimate questions. The questions are, is there anyone else in this town that you've influenced? Uh, do you have a daughter? Do you have a son? Do you have a son-in-law? Do you have anyone else in this city who your life has had an impact on, and they've become believers. They're not God. They're angels. They don't know everything. So they're asking a legitimate, straightforward question. We know that they said next, we're about to destroy this place. We're going to bring it to an end because the outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and he spoke to his sons in laws. Now, notice this his sons in laws who were, that's future tense, to marry his daughters. If you know anything about the Jewish way of doing things, there was a betrothal period. During the betrothal period, you were considered husband and wife. You didn't live together or any of those things, the marriage had not been consummated. But there was a year of preparation, but you were considered husband and wife. If you don't believe that, look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 9. uh, just Matthew chapter 1, the last half, and you'll see exactly what what's going on there and plenty of other places. So here's what happens. If you integrate into the society around you, there's one thing that ultimately says, wow, we have fully integrated. We have fully become a part of that society, and that's intermarriage. That's why God for the future of Israel said, don't intermarry with the pagans around you because you will start to worship their gods. It had nothing to do with race. It had to do with religion. That's what it had to do with. And in this case, Lot's daughters were betrothed. We call it engaged in our society. They were going to be married. So Lot and his family had fully become integrated with the people around them. That's why he had no problem calling him them brothers when they came. And so it says Lot went out and uh, he said, get up and let's get out of this place, for the Lord's going to destroy the city. But his, he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. They simply laughed at him. Lot's testimony had become so diluted, so ineffective, so inconsequential, inco- that they said, you've got to be kidding what are you talking about? They laughed at him. That's what the word means. They, they just made fun of him. And when the morning was dawning, the angel said to Lot, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away from the punishment of, uh, in the punishment of this city. Verse 16, and this is sad. But put yourself here, put the church here, put anyone that claims to be. But he hesitated. There's a man that God says is righteous. And when God says, I'm going to destroy the city, he's still not willing to live, leave his place of residence. Even though he knows that the whole thing will be destroyed along with him, he still hesitates. Folks, if you're at the point where the things of this world don't disturb you, you're hesitating. You need to have a clear stand for the truth. I'm going to tell you, it won't be an easy thing. They will not accept you. I don't care. By the way, I am fully in agreement that we need to rub shoulders with all kinds of people. That's our opportunity to be salt and light in the world. But when they become a part of who you are and they, their standards become your standards, you've lost your opportunity for witness you have no testimony. Why would they want to trust your Christ? There is no difference. You act just like the world. If you check the statistics, you will find that people who sit in pews on Sunday mornings, the things that they believe and the things they do are very, very minimally different than the world around them. That's sad. But the church has become like a lot as a whole. I hope it's not you. I hope it's not Garden Chapel and I hope it's not a lot of other churches. But I've done the research and unfortunately that's not true. They have bought into all the things that the society has brought their way. The old nature, sin, Satan, all of those things. They bought them and they've just integrated them into the church. And so the church is very much like the rest of the world. So guess what happens? Just like With Noah, We only know that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but seven other people were saved. In this case, we know Lot was righteous. We don't know about his wife, and we don't know about his daughters, but the angels, basically for Lot's sake, grabbed him by the hand and dragged him out. Now, it's a good thing there weren't more than four because the angels only have two hands each. So, you know what? They had their hands full just getting them out of a city and a plane that was going to be destroyed. They pretty much dragged them out. Think about your little two-year-old or three-year-old that just throws one of them hissy fits and doesn't want to walk, and you're going, nope, you're going across the street with me, and I don't care. You're not going to get squished by a car. And you half drag them across. You know what I'm talking about. It's really nice when you have a, a, a husband and wife, one on each side, and you kind of pick them up and drag them across. That's been done. I've, I've seen it done, and, uh, well, I have done it. So anyway, but that's exactly that's exactly what the angels are doing for Lot. You see, he hesitated. He wasn't willing to take the break, make the break from the world around him. But the angels, I believe for Abraham's sake, for the answer to Abraham's pleading is going to rescue him. Now, he told them that uh, they were to get out of the city, and it says... Well, I'll I'll just read it starting verse 16. I'll just read it so the context comes in. It says, but he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him and they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. And now you would have thought, okay, wow, these guys are serious. Maybe we better go to the mountains. Lot goes, hesitate one more time. You know what? I really don't want to live out in the mountains. Uh, How about if I go to a city, a, a small city, Zor? By the way, Zor means little, small, or insignificant. What if I just go to that small city? So the angel said, okay, we'll grant you that one. We won't destroy that city because you're going to be in it. Thing is, they did, and as soon as they got out, he says, get there. And as soon as they got in there, well, in verse 22, he says, Hurry, escape, for I cannot do anything until you arrive. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zorah, which is meaning small. And it says, when the sun had risen over the earth, when Lot came to Zor, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Wow. God dragged them out. They go to a town. Now, we know they don't stay there because I think they realize at this point how bad things are. But we're still not at the end of the story. And it says that they got out, and as soon as they did, God rained the fire and brimstone on them. We'll talk about that in a moment. But We find out one more thing. If we think Lot had a problem, God made it very clear, don't look back. Get out and don't look back. You know the story, but... His wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The New Testament uses Lot's wife as an illustration of what happens when we hesitate and don't obey the Lord. She looked back. God says, You know what? If you say I'm trusting God, don't look back. Put your hand to the plow, keep going. Don't look back because you totally are going to, in this case, turn into a pillar of salt, or your life is going to become unprofitable, useless. And then we look at destroying Sodom. Verse 27, now Abraham arose early in the morning. Abraham is on the west side of the, de- the valley where the Dead Sea is. He is in Mir. That's where he's camped. That's where the angels had met with him just the day before. He is looking out over the valley to the eastern side which is today we call Jordan that's where Jordan is on the east shore there these are that is where the cities are that's where Sodom and Gomorrah are He's looking across to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah toward all the land of the valley and he saw and behold the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace I can only take a couple minutes here because I spent a half a day looking up what we know about Sodom and Gomorrah. For many years, up until the 1970s, people said Sodom and Gomorrah are under the Dead Sea; nobody will ever get to them. Well, the Dead Sea—if you don't know this—is drying up. They've checked; Sodom and Gomorrah aren't under the Dead Sea. But in 1970s, the very early part of the 1970s in Jordan, some people started bringing artifacts. They're very curious on the black market. And so the authorities start checking where these artifacts came from. And sure enough, guess what? The Bible was true all along. On the eastern shore from the north to the south of the Dead Sea, they found cities. Nobody knew they were there before. The Bible said they were there. The Bible also said what happened to them. They were destroyed. Now, I'm going to make this very short. If you, I, I spent a half a day doing this, and you know, I, I, I'm like, okay, I've spent enough time. Probably we only use 30 seconds of it anyway. But if you want my notes, just email me. I'll send you the notes. It's really, really interesting. Some people have said, well, it's, this one was Sodom, this one was Gomorrah, and then others contradict that. We don't really know. No one of the cities has they found anything that marks the city as this was Sodom, this was Gomorrah, or one of the other cities. But what they have found is the evidence of the event. And they have found the totally, completely destroyed cities. Here's what they found. They found that the towers had collapsed. Earthquake. And that the fire that destroyed them was not a normal fire. It was a fire that came from the top. They've also found in the limestone. Where they dug these cities up, pothole, potholes in the limestone that were burnt in there by sulfur and magnesium mixed, which is a very, very, very hot flame. It turned it into uh, other chemical compounds, that calcium sulfate that comes when you fuse them at high temperatures. The point is, they found a layer. Of anywhere from a foot and a half deep to three feet deep of completely charred, burned ruins, full of sulfur, full of what we would call asphalt today, because if you check, and they also found that some of the cities were actually, part of it dropped 100 feet, because the What God did, it's a miracle, by the way, God commanded it, but God in even miracles uses natural things, and that these things that were under the surface came up, shot up a little bit like in the flood, on fire, came down, and the sulfur and the burning. And when Abraham looked across, he said it looked like the smoke of a furnace. Remember back when Iraq uh, came out of Kuwait, they lit all the, the oil wells on fire, Kind of like that, if you want a picture that you may have seen. That's what Abraham saw from the other side. You see, just as the Bible already said it happened, we now actually have the physical evidence that it actually happened. They said nowhere else on earth have they found any kind of ruins that even approximate the ruins that they found there. Why? Because it's the only place in all the world, in all history, that was destroyed in this way. The point is, when God does a job, He does it right. Remember in the flood? Nothing that breathed air survived except what was in the ark. And in this case, the only ones that survived were the ones that the angels dragged out of the city. Everybody else died. Now that means that the sons-in-laws-to-be... And I got to go through all these because I'm. That's by the way. That's a picture of uh, some of the sulfur balls that they found uh, on those sites. But the point is, here's what happens: grandparents, great grandparents, parents. You say, "Okay, so I've done wrong things, and I'm really not a good testimony." I call this last point the children of Sodom. You see. Lot raised his children there. He wasn't a good testimony. In fact, is we know how lousy a testimony he was because he was willing to offer his virgin daughters to the crowd for their use. So you see what happened. And guess what? His daughters also grew up with the morals, the ethics, and the spiritual principles of Sodom. They didn't learn from their dad, and they sure learned it from those around them. And so now they're scared. So Lot finally says, you know what? I'm moving out of the city. I have a feeling that people were like, whoa, we don't even want to be around you. I, I, it doesn't tell us that, but my sanctified imagination says people weren't real happy with Lot because they kind of knew what went on. Remember, Zor was not destroyed. Everything else was and Lot is now shaking in his boots, and he says, You know what? I'm going to move out to the mountains. By the way, if you want to know if there were ever caveman, cavemen, there were women too. Lot was one, his daughters were two of them. They live in the cave. And they go, Hold it a second. Our, our, our future husbands were destroyed, uh, and nobody wants anything to do with us. And my, our dad moved us out here in the middle of nowhere. We're living in a cave. You know what? We won't ever have any children. We don't have a chance to propagate a family and, you know, go on. So what did they do? They said, hey, we know what we're going to do. We're going to make our dad drunk. And we're going to have a sexual relationship with him. And uh, we'll bear children to our father. It's called incest, by the way. You say, well, the law wasn't written yet. If you look in the law, it is spelled out in detail that you cannot have a sexual relationship with blood relatives. It's found in Leviticus chapter 18, very explicit. You want to read it? Go back and read it. But how would they know that it was wrong then for the law? Simply this, go back to Genesis chapter 2. It doesn't say father and daughters. It says husband and wife. Period. That's how we know homosexuality is wrong. That's how we know all of these other things are wrong. That's how we know premarital sex is wrong. It is a husband and wife, period. That's where a sexual relationship is to be. So, what do they do? They make their dad drunk, they sleep with him, and indeed, they become pregnant and are going to have children. And those children are just like every other time when the people of God made unfaithful, unrighteous, and sinful decisions. Go back a few few chapters. Remember, Abraham got antsy. Sarah got antsy. Hey, God promised us we're going to have children. We're going to be father and mother, and we're going to have great kings come from us. They have no children. So what do they do? They take an Egyptian maid and say, she says, Abraham, take my maid, have children on my behalf. Well, you know what happened. That's Ishmael. He is the father of the Ishmaelites. That's a part of the Arabs. And now we have one more branch of that. Because when they have children, here's what it says. And this is the last three verses. Thus both of the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore, bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. If you know anything about the Bible, the Moabites do not like the Jewish people. And the younger one, she also bore a son and called him Benami, And he is the father of the sons of Ammon, the Ammonites to this day. You see, this wasn't the problem. But these children, who were not children by any legitimate means, are ones that now come back when the children of Israel come out of Egypt. They're the ones that attack them. They're the ones that won't let them pass through the land. They're the ones that are a thorn in their side. You wonder why the Middle East is such a powder keg? Why there's such tension in the Middle East? Let's face it. In these two cases that I've just given you, it was people who were true believers, who didn't act in faith, acted in a sinful, illegitimate manner, and now you have the consequences of sin. Sin always has consequences, and sin always has negative consequences. But here's what I also know, that when we do the right thing, it also has consequences. And so here's the bottom line. I'm back to where I started. We live in a world that I could be negative about. I am, I am actually not a negative person. I just look at it in reality. God says, what I see around, around Sodom doesn't work. It's not from me. I look around the country I live in. I love my country. Won't, don't want to be any other place. But I see a whole lot of things that are wrong. And I see that I have a responsibility. I don't want to be Lot. I don't want to have to be dragged out of the society because I've been so much of a part of it. I don't want to be like Lot's daughters. I don't want to be like Lot's wife. I don't want to be like any of them. I want to be somebody that is a bright, shining testimony. Light where there's darkness. Salt where there's dullness. Where there's sin. I challenge you. I encourage you. The world is not going to say, oh, we're so glad you took a stand for what is right. Mm -mm. They're going to call you holier than thou. And who do you think you are, just like they did with Lot? They're going to say, who made you a judge? That's your opinion. Don't put your principles on us. Don't expect us to think like you do. Don't tell us we're wrong. Because we want to do what we want to do. You will never be friends with the world if you're right with God. I didn't say you won't interact with them. You better interact with them or you have no ministry. But here's what it is. We are to be ministering in the world. There's no doubt about that. But if the world is ministering in us, we got it all backwards. And that's exactly what was happening with Lot. Horrible place. I challenge you. When you leave here today, you think in your head, This world is dark. It just got darker this week. Am I going to be a light? And right now, if you stand up and you say, same-sex marriage is wrong, I'll guarantee you will not be popular. Oh, you might be popular in this room and a few other with your friends, your Bible study. You won't be in the world because you're out of touch. You just are. If you say abortion is wrong, hey, you are anti-women. You name anything you want. You're not going to be friends with the world. I take responsibility for that. You, you heard me say it. I'm telling you it's the right thing to do, to be a, take a stand. But understand, you'll pay a price for it. Lot did, especially because he lost his testimony. Truth is, we need to be a light and salt in a dark and dreary world. That's who we need to be don't expect the world to change it, we need to take a stand. We may not even change it, but we need to make sure that they see our light. They see the light of Christ. And by the way, the ultimate consequence in doing right is trusting Christ as your Savior. Without that, you have nothing to offer the world. He died for your sins and the sins of the whole world. And he wants to save them all, but he chose to use us as mouthpiece, ambassadors, on his behalf. That's our job. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, what a great God you are, knowing how to rescue the righteous even in the midst of punishment on sin. Lord, I pray that we indeed would be the salt, the light, the testimony, the influence that you've designed us to be. And I pray that we would go from this place endeavoring to be who you want us to be in a world that is diametrically opposed in many ways to what you have commanded, what you have given. Lord, thank you so much for that privilege of representing you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.